Welcome to the Law of Startups Podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I am Joe Wallen. Thank you for being with us. Today, we are lucky to have on the show Jeff Galbraith. Jeff is the publisher of three great magazines. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you. Jeff, so we have a lot of people on the show who are uh, starting and building businesses or thinking about starting a business, and you've done this thing. You uh, you made the jump quite a long time ago. Tell us about it. Yeah, I uh, I was a journalism major at uh, Western, and I had uh, moved up to Bellingham pretty early on when snowboarding was really exploding at Mount Baker, and and Mount Baker's. Um, a bit, you know, a bit like what the North Shore of Oahu is to surfing. It was even at that time was becoming a real center, and uh, I just kind of ended up combining the two interests and going and interning at Transworld Snowboarding Magazine down in uh, San Diego. It was uh, the market leader at the time, and then ended up coming back up to the Northwest and going back to work eventually for Snowboarder Magazine, Surfer Publications. It is Surfer. There still exists as Surfer Magazine, Snowboarder Magazine bike and powder magazine. And, uh, at some point I just ended up breaking off. I was doing a fair amount of freelance writing and getting confidence in my own ability to do a project and was looking at print and realizing it was going to change dramatically. And I felt like, and and still feel that the two survivable elements were going to be in archival, really high end journal type publications. And then in more disposable weekly, you know, something like the stranger village voice and so we aimed towards the the higher end and launched in 2001 uh the snowboarders journal and then uh, a number of years later six seven years later launched the ski journal and then a few years after that launched the fly fish journal and uh we have those three in our stable and we do websites for all three of them and are active with our social media and have a video program with each of those so we're not uh, only about dead trees <laughs> well, yeah, the the, uh, the magazines are amazing. If you uh, if you uh, if you're listening to this, they're they're like a National Geographic or something. They've got like a really he- a heavy you know co- feel and um, really great photos. The photos are all really pretty amazing. Um, yeah, I've always been curious about how you managed to um, piece all these um, wonderful magazines together. And how many contributors per per edition or per per issue do you have, and how long does it take to put one together? Well, we do them quarterly, so every ten to twelve weeks, and then uh, we have contributors from all over the world. We have, uh, you know, it varies each time, but uh, you know, anywhere from twenty to fifty different contributors per issue uh, when it's all done with the writing and the photos and everything. So, how far in advance of each issue? I mean, when does issue like how does how does issue planning work? Um, we start out uh, we start out well in advance. We'll start out you know kind of seasonally the off season before and start talking about uh, you know what we want to see in the issue and and what kind of personalities and travel we're going to feature. And uh, so we'll put that into action. Then also to a certain extent, working with our advertisers, um, you know, so that we're we're publishing the time when they're putting out their new you know ad campaigns and um, you know it's it, it will start six, seven months, eight months in advance, as much as a year in advance. I mean, the industry, though, it's crazy. It's Burton. They'll be doing their graphics uh, two years ahead of time for, you know, they're working on 2019 graphics right now. So on one hand, we're well ahead of it. On the other hand, it, you know, it's it's a fast-moving industry for sure. Right. How, how is the uh, the magazine industry? Like, have you found that you have to move more to digital as a, a larger part of the business? Or are, are people still buying magazines? So tell yeah, me about the, yeah. the state of the business. 
Yeah, no, it's it's healthy for us in the sense that, you know, our model has always been kind of where print is settling now, where it's a direct distribution. We're on newsstands, but it's not really our focus. I mean, those kind of just act as marketing kiosks. And then, uh, you know, we're far more subscription-based, and then we sell limited advertising. Um, so it's not splashful of ads. It's not a $5 newsstand. They're twelve ninety five. And uh, so they're, you know, they're just more archival. People tend to hang on to them. And like we go to a trade show, the other magazines, which are, you know, quickly going away, they'll throw down a, a stack of magazines, you know, three feet high and come by two days later. And there's, you know, there's just a pile of it, but, you know, very few of them are taken away. We put ours selectively down and people grab them, stuff them in their, in their carries and, uh, you know, make sure that they don't get swiped so they can have them on the plane back. So it's just a different model. That's cool. Yeah. So, oh, go ahead, Mike. Oh, I was going to say, I mean, I'd love to talk more about the magazine business in general, but one of the things we should talk about while we have you here is I I know that um, in addition to sort of the the things you learned from starting a business, I think the folks that listen to this podcast, a lot of them are uh, startup entrepreneurs trying to get something going. Um, And it seems to me you have kind of a unique perspective on, um, I don't know, how to get things covered in, in media. And maybe, maybe you'd have some advice for people about how to uh, how to pitch to magazines and, and media to get stories covered. Um, you mentioned that you work on your magazine months and months ahead of time. I don't think a lot of people realize that piece of it, that, that you kind of have to get on the schedule for magazines, find out, find out what they're writing about, you know, six, seven months from now. So you can try to pitch stories. Uh, any, any advice for startups that want to get covered? If you were like a young, I keep going on, but if you were a young snowboard startup that was trying to get, uh, you know, their product talked about in, in your magazine, how do they go about, you know, uh, talking to the right people. Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, you do want to try and be aware of, you know, get out, if you can get out to the publishers and editors and find out what their edit schedule is and what they're looking at so that you can kind of optimize whatever content you're, you're looking to bring to them. But, you know, good content is, you know, great content is great content. So if it's brought to us, you know, completely off season, but it's, it's a brilliant piece and, uh, you know, or something that we really will work well for us, then, you know, we'll, we'll move mountains and make sure it happens. Um, but in most ways I'd say, you know, you have to kind of become your own little mini content company to begin with so that, you know, you can optimize and develop at least nodes of content and ideas that you can, you can pass along and start trying try and work with editors and publishers on. Yeah. It's kind of, um, you know, as a small startup and for businesses that I've run in the past, I've found myself trying to, to put on a PR hat and try to figure out how to, how to homebrew my own PR and um, and learn from what they would do if you paid them. And so, if you contact a, a magazine and say, "Hey, can you send me your your editorial schedule?" Is that something that they do? Like it, everybody has it, and they they share that kind of thing? Yeah, or at least you pretend like you have one. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and generally speaking, you know, you, you create an outline, you create a wireframe, and especially the the kinds of things we're doing, especially on the winter sports side of things, you know, the snowfall ends up determining. So you may have you know, we're going to do this trip to France and then, you know, we're going to do this to New Zealand and in the summer and, and then the snow falls in Japan and, and Europe has a horrible winter. So you end up adapting as you go along, but it's good to have at least something road mapped out. And, and if you can tap into that as a contributor, um, you know, you've got a little, the mostly you just want to be, be familiar with the, have an idea of what you're talking about, what you're submitting to get familiar with the, with the publication itself or, or the website or whatever it is, the blog, whatever you want to contribute to just, you know, the challenge is you want to have 
a voice and, and content that resonates and isn't exactly what what they're already you know you don't want to repeat what they're what they're doing already, but not be so far off the map that it's just not applicable. Yeah, that makes sense. So 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 Jeff, do you spend like I mean? What portion of your time do you spend sort of corralling creative people um, in the business? I mean, is that is that half your time or a quarter of your time? Or that's a fair amount of my time. I mean, I have a, actually, you know, I have a content director now. We have photo editors for each of the titles and uh, a video editor uh, for that's producing videos for our social on our website. And um, so, I less less personal corralling uh, and wrangling on my own end now. And uh, and more uh, the guys that I'm deploying and, and women that I'm deploying um, are, are doing more of the day to day of, you know, there's a certain amount of day to day Bob Newhart amateur psychology that you're playing on a constant basis to make sure that you're telling people that your work you're not going to use that it's really good. But um, so, so, Jeff, but on a more serious note, I mean, we've we've been friends for a long time and I've always joked around. We've all we've just had this kind of joking relationship our whole lives. But I mean, this is I mean, a lot of people look at what you what you've done and, and think, wow, that would be really awesome to to uh, to to have done that. I mean, that's a really cool thing. You write two winter magazines and then I guess the Fly Fish Journal is a little off season, but not. I mean, how do you how did, did that affect your decision to to create that to create that journal the the seasonality of it was just yeah yeah absolutely i mean the the winter sports is your your farmers of the snow and you just pray that you know that that you don't get hit with a horrible winter across the board in europe japan you know both coasts and, and the rockies or something like that so it, it, you know it's a bit it, it, that that can be a bit more challenging on that end and you know, fortunately, we've had even at our worst winners, we've done pretty well in maintaining our advertising and and uh, and keeping people connected. Um, but uh, the the fly fish is actually the least seasonal. Those guys do it all year long, and um, there's opportunities. So you know, even around here, you have trout fishing. You know, in, in the northwest, you've got trout fishing in the in the in the foothills and in the mountains during the summer, and and bass fishing in the lowlands, and then you know, there's guys who love to do nothing more than stand out in the rain and, and try and catch steelhead out on the Olympic Peninsula in the middle of January. So, and then you also get a Christmas balance as well. So it's, it's a lot less seasonal and, but the, what, what season there is, is more concentrated sort of spring and summer. So it does help offset the, the, you know, the cash flow for wintertime a fair amount. Plus it's probably the thing I'm most personally engaged with now. I still love doing winter sports, but uh, there's just something about fly fishing I find really rewarding. Yeah, it's really it's a it's amazing. I have not personally done it, but uh, friends who who do and Mike, I don't know. Do you fish? I, I don't know if you fish or not. I don't know if I've ever asked. No, you. Ne- never, never. I mean, I've I've, I've tried fishing <clears throat> like off a pier, but uh, but I've never done any fly fishing. But I I do. I have been a big snowboarder. I haven't snowboarded lately, but I used to snowboard all the time. Uh, I, I lived up in Vail for a couple of years and, and snowboarded pretty much every day. Um, That's pretty so, nice. Well, yeah. so Jeff, the Bahamacon, is that still an ongoing thing you do every year? Yeah, we do it every year. We take our staff and uh, usually an advertiser or two, and uh, we do a trade out with the Daniki. Uh, it's a lodge, fly fish lodge company that has several different lodges, and one of them's in uh, South Andros in the Bahamas. And it's just an amazing, amazing opportunity that we get to go. And we produce some content for those guys while we're down there, but. Uh, it's an awful nice break in late in uh, you know spring when weather still can be kind of so-so to get out on a little skiff and get out there in 85 degree weather and catch bonefish for sure. It's it's a bonefish. That's what that's that's what you fish down there the bonefish. 
Yeah, it's it's that's what they're most famous for. There's other fish down there. My friend caught a tarpon a number of years ago when we were there, and you'll catch barracuda occasionally and things like that. But bone fishing is a really popular uh, aspect of of saltwater fly fishing, and they're just a really unique, challenging fish to catch. And uh, it's it's probably better there than just about anywhere. It's just it, it's it's a Caribbean wilderness. I mean, you get down there, and we'll go out for six to eight hours a day and you just don't see another boat you don't see footprints you don't you don't see anything where we're going and it's just a like an aquarium we're seeing turtles rays and it's amazing it's a lot of fun but it's challenging it's one of the harder forms of fly fishing for sure so right um you know we try and practice up a little bit before we go so i'm i'm uh, i love the um i mean if you get a chance if you're if you're listening to the show go to the flyfishjournal.com and just check out the the array of of great stories uh, I like the I like the title of the piece Musky Hunting in Appalachia. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't have you have you done have you fished some in Appalachia or like yourself or I I I don't know how much time I've actually spent in Appalachia period myself yet, but um <laughs> I you know, I it, it, yeah, musky muskellunge are a really unique uh super predatorial freshwater fish. I mean, those would be like the barracuda of the Midwest or something and they get upwards of 50 60 pounds of big ones. Wow. And uh you fish for them with these topwater flies that you know the size of bedroom slippers, and it's a it's 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 a very unique form of fishery. And there, you really have to look around for the right habitat, and you know one of those fish of a thousand casts where you got to put your time in. So it's it's definitely hunting for them. Wow, yeah, a neat story about this too. So, um, so tell me, are, do you have any other titles that they're cooking? You you've launched one every you know five or six years now or something, right? Over the time you've been doing this or are you are you just gonna focus on these titles right now well you know i i for a while i was for a long while I'm like i'm not launching any more magazines and generally speaking i don't think i'm interested in doing repeating you know exactly what we're doing i'm comfortable with the three as quarterlies as they are uh we do a fair amount of custom publishing as well we've done kind of fallen into doing these commemorative books we did a 20 uh, a 50 year book for k2 skis and snowboards originally a number of years ago and then we did a 40-year book for Nike, a 50-year book for Whistler Blackcomb this last year, and then a couple of one-offs uh, as well for for other people, a film company and some others. So that's actually been a fairly growing part of our business. Um, I don't know if I'm going to launch any more magazines per se. I could see annuals or biannuals. And I, I have some interest, some growing interest in trying to figure something that would be you know, kind of a more of a lifestyle and design-oriented thing. Uh, you know, a little more broad based, but but still focusing on kind of the active outdoor set, almost like a a dwell for, you know, kind of West Coast active outdoor set that I'm still trying to get my head around. But I think it would be largely a digital property and then, you know, maybe a, a, a one off uh, once a year biannual type thing in print. So I, got I, I, do, we, we, I would keep it very selective with print. Right. So, right. So you've been focusing the business more and more just on the on the online work and the videos and. Yeah, we made a big push this last year. We need, our websites needed to be updated. They were originally built in 1937, so they needed some help, and um, so we finally brought those to par a bit and simplified some stuff. Went with a WordPress platform. We kind of got tired of overthinking it, and uh, it's just for right now, it's a good delivery for sure. So you built all the first websites in by hand yourself? Yes, actually, in a workshop with lathes and uh, hand tools for the most part. 
But um, yeah, no, we we just work with a local IT guy that we've worked with in the past. He's helped us, and, and we just you know did a pretty fairly basic content delivery system. But it's it, it really works well for our purposes in the back ends. Not difficult to manage, and and uh, it, you know, and then we're I hired a, a guy this last year full time for AV, who's doing a, we're doing a three video series for each title sponsored by 10 barrel brewing in bend oregon and then patagonia and some others as well we did some work with the bc fishing and uh that's been a lot of fun we just got done doing a um a collaboration with trout unlimited which is a lot probably the largest freshwater fishing conservation group in the country and uh we're doing a piece on the remaining wild fishery of the skagit river and actually got a charter a friend of mine is a helicopter pilot and we wanted to get a shot of the whole river system and it wasn't going to work with drones because we needed to get we want to get the whole thing so uh we got him out there and i'm really excited to see i haven't seen it yet but they got a shot apparently from almost all the way to the dam all the way down uh, and then across the skagit valley and into the puget sound and wow, i'm uh, excited to, i'm excited to see that yeah awesome. it should be really cool and they actually caught fish too which we were concerned about so so, 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 Mike. One of the things that Jeff also does in his spare time when he's not running through magazines is he turns out articles for pretty cool, pretty cool publications. I really like that piece you wrote for, um, God, the, oh, was it the, um, the, the, which, 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 uh, which, you know, which nonprofit was it again? Was it? Um, think about the piece you wrote for um, the conservation group, Sierra Club. Yeah, I thought that was a really great piece. Yeah, my uh, one of my old bosses is uh, Steve Hawk, uh, who is editor at Surfer Publications for a long period when I worked down there. He's brother of Tony Hawk, the skateboarder, um, and he's a great guy and great editor. And he ended up uh, becoming editor of the Sierra Club magazine, Sierra Magazine, a number of years ago. And I did a few pieces for them. It was enjoyable. I, you know, I'm. I was. Uh, it was fun to work with them. I'm not a member of Sierra Club. You know, there's certainly platforms of theirs I support, and others that you know I might I might not as much. But um, for the most part, you know, they're a good organization, and and um, there was a great magazine to work for. And I did a, a couple of pieces. I did a piece on waterfowl hunting, which was kind of pushing their envelope for what they did. But it was you know good to talk about wetlands conservation. And then uh, I did a piece. On the coal trains and the um, the coal port that they want to put up on Cherry Point, and the Lummi Indians' resistance to it, and you know how they ended up prevailing, and it was it was an interesting piece. I got to spend some time talking to some really interesting uh, some natives and um, and learning about that culture. So it was, it was cool. I, I like as much as anything. I like doing that kind of thing because it just keeps me engaged. I mean, if you're a content producer, generally speaking, you're either a writer at heart or your photography did something at some point. I'm a writer at heart, so writing's a lot like fighting. It's good, like, you know, as a boxer, you got to keep your chops up and occasionally get down to weight. And I think doing freelance work achieves that for me. Tell, tell me, uh, I'm curious about the the driver to, to bring you into this business. It sounds like you've got a passion for writing and you had some background because you were working with, with some publications. So did you approach this from your love of writing or from your love of the, of the sports that you cover or a little of both? And I don't know, do you have anything to say about – I don't know, pursuing, pursuing your interests and, and having that, I don't know, eventually give rise to a business that can sustain, uh, you know, work that relates to things that you enjoy outside of work. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, I think my, uh, my, uh, mentor and idol in this would be Warren Miller. I, I got a chance to interview him a number of years ago. I think he's in just like 93, 94 now or something. And he's still, you know, super lively. And, uh, 
he always talked about how you'll work all your life to be an overnight success in this industry. And I, I think that's pretty accurate. Um, but he'll also talk about how, you know, you won't feel like you worked a day in your life. And there's a certain amount of truth to that. I mean, I think anytime you can combine things that you're really passionate about and love, then it makes those long days kind of go through a little a little more quickly. But um, yeah, I think I'm equally committed to writing and to these activities. I'm probably more committed to writing as in, and helping produce the content and tell the narratives of these cultures as I get a little older. I mean, I still enjoy going out and doing them, but you know, I'm, I'm uh, 49 next month and my, my snowboarding may not be uh, quite as aggressive as it once was, but it's still a beautiful thing and I enjoy getting out there. Yeah. It seems um, I, I tell folks, I, I do a lot of app development and, um, and people wonder kind of is, sh- should I build this app? And I, I get a lot of phone calls from people that I know uh, or that know people that I know asking me for advice about whether they should make an app or, or the, what the app market looks like. And, and I always try to tell them, um, you know, in particular right now, the app market is a little bit rough because the, the market's so crowded, but, um, you know, that, that in general, like launching an app at this point is not a great business proposition. I mean, the odds are kind of against you, but if you enjoy the process, if you like making apps and creating things and you'll get some benefit out of that, it, it, it is literally what would tip the scales into making it worthwhile. And like, if somebody comes to me and says, I want to make an app, but I don't like coding. I don't like making apps. I don't like selling things. I don't like the art. You know, it's it's not a good plan, like from as a pure business idea. But you know, if you can get that extra value out of doing something you love, or or even just being being surrounded by things that you're interested in, um, you know, that sometimes puts it over the uh, over the edge. Uh, it sounds like you've you've managed that. I, I'm ex- I assume that if somebody were to come into your business and try to do a, a snowboarding magazine or a fly fishing magazine without any love of the sport, they would have a hard time competing. It would make no sense whatsoever. I mean. There's certain, you know, they're, they're viable businesses and, and, you know, there's not, uh, we're not doing this completely out of love, love of labor. I only love labor so much, but at the same time, um, yeah, that, that would be, I I don't know why you would do that. If you're going to, if you're just going to work your ass off on something that you may be somewhat detached for, I don't know why you wouldn't be like in the energy sector or something, but, um, it's, you know, it's rewarding on a lot of levels. At the same time, you know, we're an interesting business and Joe could, you know, he's, he's occasionally given me feedback and we've gone back and forth on, on these things where it's, you know, we're more of a traditional business model in that we actually turn, you know, we turn revenue, we, we turn profit and, and we come back each year and we grow a little bit for the most part each year. Um, but that does kind of run a little bit counter to a lot of people that are, that are, you know, in the content business, but aren't necessarily in the content business in terms of you having insane valuations based on delivery of something that, that, you know, may or may not actually be paid for on any level at any point. Um, Right. Well, so that's, I mean, sometimes you hear, I mean, sometimes there's happy news coming out of the media sector in terms of like uh, new ventures being funded. I mean, Business Insider, I, I think had a, I mean, they had a, they had an exit, I believe. I don't think it was a, I mean, I don't think it was a, bad exit either. Um, but I mean, so occasionally you see good news, but then obviously you see like terrible disasters occurring in the, in the media landscape as well, where just the business models have just gotten so it's gotten difficult, right? Well, yeah. And, but you know, it's, it's gotten difficult both for, I think for people that have stuck to 110% traditional approach that have been, 
reticent to, to innovate or dip their toes in. And then people have, you know, bet the farm and gone completely, you know, stepped away from their core product in a lot of ways and, and then get too attached to the technology itself. I mean, my attitude, I mean, as we were just speaking about this earlier, I'm, I'm a bit of a Elodite in that I'm not, I'm not that socially engaged myself with lots of, lots of media, but I am certainly on the uh, on a business level, and and you know I, I think it makes all the sense in the world for us to be in in all the spaces. But you know, what Instagram will be replaced by something else at some point. Facebook will be replaced by something else at some point. So I try to emphasize to our crew to to always be aware and not not get caught behind, but at the same time, don't get too attached to any of it because you know what we're really trying to do is just produce great content. And that's not going to change. The demand for that's not going to change. If anything, I think the more we get "quote unquote" fake news, or you know, people just get bombarded with crap all the time, it makes the stuff that's 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 valid and and uh, resonates uh, is, is starting to do better and better. I mean, it's funny not to wade too far into it, but it, you know, we start where our fearless leader starts going on about uh, about the failing New York Times and and all and all these. They're actually doing better than ever. I mean, New York Times is doing great right now. The Atlantic's doing great right now. And I don't know if it's a combination of of you know he's helping fan the flames and sell them a bit more and more, or you know the a Sunday edition, New York Times print edition really stands out now as being like this is substantial content. And whether you agree with it or disagree with it. There's obviously a lot of effort and 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 uh, craft that goes into gathering and creating that content, and I think increasingly that's that's having some value. Whereas, you know, five six years ago, we were just thinking everything was going to be reduced to to single tweets, and you know, that's still that that's that that world and uh, world of content is still is still growing, but at the same time, it does feel like there's an undercurrent of. Um, you know, an increasing demand for for real content or something that people can you know stake some idea of truth on. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've been. I think the same exact thing. Like I, I a couple of years ago, I would have said, uh, you know, I don't, I don't understand how print media is going to continue to survive. Um, you know, I'd, I'd go home and visit my my folks, and my dad reads the paper every day, and he'd ask me if I read the paper, and I'd say, I oh, know, I get I get all my news from a news feed. Like I, I subscribe to the things I want to look at, and I I read it every day. It's like the way I would digest news is totally different from the way he does. Uh, but then this election happened, and and uh, it, it felt like too many people were relying on on sources of news that aren't that well vetted and myself included. And I, so I, I got a subscription to the New York times and I got a subscription to the Washington post. And I, all of a sudden the concept of paying for news seems like it, it is a, uh, I understand why it's important in a way that I didn't before. Um, I think that might be a pretty common sentiment. It's just my experience, but it, I assume that it'll drive, you know, hopefully some more people spending money on, on money that will eventually go to real journalists and real content creators that create quality instead of just uh, fluff. Yeah, there's there's little doubt in my mind that no one has done more to give relevance to journalism in the last 25 years than Donald Trump. And so every journalism country, every journalism school in the country should be sending him a thank you email and uh, and you know encourage him to attack that world that much more. Um, but uh, yeah, I just think that. And and whether it's it's through news and politics or whether it's something that's more of a passion type thing that that we speak to, um, 
you know, I think increasingly people want to, people want to hear great stories. They want to hear, you know, stories that can resonate and, and, you know, just has some sort of meaning to their own lives. I mean, that you see that whether it's, you know, the success of something like a story core or, um, you know, this American life on the NPR side or, uh, you know, uh, or others out there, but you know, even, even this podcast is something is you're, you're, you're creating content that is outside of, you know, what you would normally have seen in the past, but at the same time, it's, it, you know, either resonates or it doesn't. Yeah. I guess right. that speaks to the other side of things. That, that was one of the things I used to think was absolutely amazing about the, the internet and blogs and podcasts, um, you know, leading up to the election where I was getting the main source of news and the main source of content that I got was through these sort of um, long tail channels, you know, and it's still amazing that you can, you, if you're interested in, uh, in a, uh, like um, AI technology, or if you're interested in horseback riding, or if you're interested in golf, that literally you can just tune into a podcast that will talk to your interests all day long. You don't just have to tune into the sort of least common denominator of whatever's on talk radio. Um, so I always thought that was pretty amazing. I, I still think it is, but I guess that, you know, it, if, if everybody is listening to only people that are interested in exactly the same things that they are, and they're not listening to the general stuff, I guess it, it kind of bubbles us all off. Um, yeah. So maybe we, we just need both. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that it's, there's, there's a place for the water cooler talk and um, you know, if no one ever comes to the same table, it, it makes it harder to have more common discussions. Um yeah, which is why I'm looking forward to reaching out to Donald Trump Jr., avid apparent avid Instagram follower of our Flyfish Journal Instagram. Well, and, everyone uh, should follow the Flyfish Journal Instagram. I mean, you just see <laughs> and you see you see beautiful photos of nature and like what else is there that you really want to see? Yeah. I mean, great, great photographic content. When you look at your products, Jeff, and I, and uh, we're coming out near the end of the show. So, but, but when you look at your products, what do you think is? I mean, do you weight the in your mind? Do you weight the writing? And the photo is like roughly equally in, like in your approach or like, how do you think about the relative? Because the, the photos are awesome. And I'm sure a lot of people buy the magazine just to look at the photos, frankly, in all honesty. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I think, well, I think it's, I think it's both. We always look at is we try and start with the edit as being the the core of the content that drives, you know, that's the story, the narrative drives the photos and photo selection, which in turn drive the design. And the idea is, you know, that we make those things seamless. So they're, they're supporting each other but not in a way that's, that's ever competing with each other. And um, yeah, I mean, the photos certainly, uh, the, the, we, we, you know, they should because we pay a fair amount for the type of printing that we print. And um, yeah, the, the photos definitely are, are uh, probably the main driver as far as, uh, as far as, as far as curb appeal. I think when it comes to actual purchase, if, you know, that's one thing we always try to do more longer form. And part of it is like, you know, if you can't sit there and read it, consume it in the shop, you know, if they're 3000 word pieces to 5,000 word pieces, you have to buy it and take it home, you know? Right. If it's, a, yeah, you get, you get in the grip of the story, you like grab it off the shelf and you start reading it. And you're like, darn, this is a really good piece. I'm going to have to take this home with me, <laughs> but that's what you want. That's your plan. That's a good, that's a good strategy. Yeah, for sure. You know, and it's continued to work. We've continued to grow each year and, and uh, we've won a number of awards. We've won uh, several Maggie's. It's the Western Publishing Association. It's consumer titles from, you know, basically the West Coast, west of the Mississippi. And uh, we've won a number for some of our custom publishing works for uh, the Whistler book most recently that we did. And um, so, yeah, I mean, we've we've continued to beat back the print apocalypse quite well. And uh 
And, and then by adding it. digital to that, you know, we're turning that into a revenue stream as well by getting, you know, selling sponsorship to Ten Barrel Brewing for the for the video pieces that we're doing and uh, and others. So, you know, it's it's an exciting time to be in media. I speak at the college every once in a while, and it's funny that the professors have become more long faced. Although now they're starting to come around, the students are always optimistic and eager no matter what. But, you know, I always just tell them that like, this is a really exciting time. Don't be, don't, don't believe the hype and don't get so beaten down. You know, that the journalism is dead and all this, cause it's, it's not, it's, it's, you know, that, that was more true four or five years ago. But, uh, you know, I was talking to a student not that long ago, reached out to me and was just kind of like, where do I start? What do I do? And we started talking about what his interests are and what, what drives his passions. And it's like, look, there's a lot of other people that would be interested in those kinds of things. Create a podcast, you know, go out and, you know, your barrier of entry is, is really cheap and uh, there's amazing stories out there and, and go gather them. And, uh, you know, that's that's really the nut of media and whether you're the New York Times or whether you're a kid in a dorm room putting together a podcast, it's it's really just about creating great content for for passionate audiences. So. Well, that's a really good. That's a really good. Uh, that's a really good parting thought. I like that. There are great stories out there. Go gather them. That's a good. That's good advice. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Jeff, for being on the show. This has been a great conversation. Um, well, uh, how can folks find what, what are the, the, the URLs to find the various magazines? It's just pretty simple. They're, they're long winded, but simple. The snowboarders journal.com, the ski journal.com and the flyfish journal.com. And if folks want to email you, Jeff, um, how, what's the best way to get you? So Jeff, at, Jeff at any of those, Jeff at the flyfish journal.com, Jeff at the ski journal.com, Jeff at the snowboarders journal.com. So. so you're so you're gonna um, you're gonna read us one of your poems before you go. <laughs> I'm actually gonna do a interpretive dance, but you'll have to you know just visualize it in your mind, I suppose. <laughs> but you will come back on our show to talk about your book. I mean, you do have a great book underway. I've read. Yeah, some- I'd love to. I'd love to. I've been finally working on a novel. I've made some decent headway on, and I had an excerpt published uh, last year in in a Canadian publication and. Um, yeah, so then the other thing you asked me over my launching another magazine, I, perhaps so after I get this thing done. Sure. Hey, do us a favor, Jeff. Send us a link to that article in that Canadian publication. We'll put it up put up with the podcast. I will. And uh, yeah, I'll see if I can find that and, and send that to you guys. Great. Thanks. Super appreciate uh, being on the show, Jeff. Jeff Galbraith, thanks for being on. Uh, everyone else, thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week. Thank you.